Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Yeah, don't it sound so epic? Horns are screaming, I ain't the one you want to mess with. Use a joke, I ain't the one you want to jest with. The battle's coming, you only got a few seconds to run. Yeah. Hello, this is Matt Minnick. Welcome to Bangles Shock Talk, brought to you by Cincy Jungle. We are... Uh, you know, right in the thick of things, uh, we've we've had uh, some big free agent acquisitions come in, uh, and obviously we're we're still thinking about the draft though. Uh, and one of the things has been a lot of defense that has been added in free agency. We did add one offensive lineman, but I know that fans are still out there screaming to make an improvement on the offensive line. And my guest today. Uh, Matt Valdivinos uh, is going to talk to us a little bit about some of the offensive linemen the Bengals might be able to get in the draft. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm always doing good. I feel good. I'm excited to talk some football and talk about some big uglies. All right. Sounds good. So, Matt, uh, you can find his work. He writes for Pro Football Network, uh, also does a podcast with Blue Chip Scouting, uh, the NFL podcast with Blue Chip Scouting. Uh, so, we're just going to go ahead and skip uh, as much as I like Wirfs and Becton and Wills uh, and really even Andrew Thomas. Probably not going to be happening for the Bengals. Uh, every once in a while you see a mock draft where Andrew Thomas slips, but I got to think somebody's grabbing him uh, before the end of the first round. So let's move into the second round and talk about offensive tackles. Uh, so after that top four, I know it's been kind of, a pretty big debate, like who is OT5 in this draft class? Uh, who do you think could be a good option for the Bengals in round two? Well, I think it starts with really what you're looking for. Um, there are a couple. So the two that I think are the best fitting at five and at six, um, who I think are still a, a tier above the rest after that, um, kind of, you know, a pseudo tier one would be Josh Jones out of Houston and Lucas Ning at of TCU. Um, the only thing with those two is that Jones is a very natural left tackle. He played it for four years at Houston um, at Mobile in the senior week. He or at the senior bowl. He did move over to right tackle and a little bit of guard. He did not look very comfortable. He struggled a bit. So if you're looking for a left tackle type of player, Josh Jones is probably it. If not, if you know you're wanting to plug in that right tackle spot, um, Lucas Niang, who played uh, right tackle most of his career at TCU, who's really good and people forget um, – suffered a pretty bad hip injury this year and played through it. Uh, so his tape in 2019 was not phenomenal, but his tape in 2018 was excellent. And I think had he been fully healthy this year, we would be talking about him as the first round pick as the best right tackle um, projected into the NFL. Now, obviously Tristan Wirfs and Jedrick Wills both played right tackle in their careers, but the, the thought process is that they can comfortably play in either spot. Um, but that's, that's the two who I would come right off the bat, and it's very dependent on how they view Jonah Williams, um, someone who I was very high on, who I think can be a quality uh, and, and Pro Bowl level left tackle in the NFL. So if they're looking to add um, at 33, you know, his running mate and a right tackle, I would say probably Lucas Niang. Or if they want to move Williams inside to guard, then maybe a Josh Jones to fill in that left tackle spot. Yeah, I mean, I got to think that as high as they drafted him, uh, you drafted him to be your left tackle. He's, he's Zach Taylor's first uh, ever draft pick. Uh, I got to think you're not messing with that guy, um, at least giving him a shot. You know, maybe maybe in a year you decide he can't do it, but we haven't seen that guy at all. And really, that's what I think is going to scare Bengals fans off of Nyang, uh, is having gone through a, a year without Jonah Williams, uh, you know, making a, another pick like that at 33 this year. Um, it's pretty, pretty nerve wracking. I don't know, uh, how much of a stomach Bengals fans will have for, for a move like that. Um, 
And yeah, I know, I know Jones, I know you were down at the senior bowl and, and Jones is a guy who got a lot of attention down there, uh, you know, and, and was definitely getting a lot of positive feedback there. Uh, another guy I like is uh, Prince Tego Wanago from, mm-hmm. uh, from Auburn, uh, who only been playing football for a couple of years, actually was scouted by a, a basketball coach at a prep school, uh, came, came to the U.S. Uh, to play basketball, uh, and, and now he's got a chance at the, at the league. What are your thoughts on Prince? So he's next up, would be next up on my list um, right there. Uh, great physical abilities you know he's long he's tall uh, at six foot five ish but he's still lean so i think he can put on a little bit of weight and it will help him he's naturally physically gifted and it shows in pass protection his ability to keep himself between a defender is excellent um i think a lot of people come to this debate whether he or austin jackson at a usc is better i don't think it's close particularly i think ptw prince Nego is uh, head and shoulders better and if you're looking for someone that that's going to be a left tackle um, somewhere in that second round, who I think personally has the ability. Now, do I think he will reach it? I don't know, but has the ability and the potential to be a franchise left tackle and all pro level player. And I think he's that. Yeah, definitely see some really, uh, really good flashes uh, on film. You mentioned Austin Jackson. I think he kind of fits into the realm of, of a guy that, I don't think his film is great, and a lot of people kind of talk about his potential, and you know, you see him thrust into that area be- because of, of what his physical gifts are. Um, similarly, uh, one of the late risers in this draft class, Ezra Cleveland. Uh, personally, I I didn't like him very much on film, uh, but he tore up the NFL Combine, uh, and now I'm hearing people talking about him as a valid option. Uh, with the 33rd pick, I'm, I'm seeing him, uh, you know, mocked in that type of area. What are your thoughts on uh, Ezra Cleveland from Boise State? Um, honestly, at 33, I don't think it would be the end of the world. I don't think it would be. The Bengals have had worse second-round picks within the past year um, in a group sample. So uh, <laughs> you could definitely do worse than Ezra Cleveland. Um, I would probably lean towards uh, a Prince Teguanogo or, a, you know, a Josh Jones or Louis Niang, how we talked but mm-hmm. I think Cleveland, what you get is I think he's fundamentally more prepared than either Jones or Winogo is physically. Um, his ability to anchor is a little bit stronger than either of theirs is. And I think it's just because he's naturally larger. Mm-hmm. Now, there were some inconsistencies, uh, a lack of a motor occasionally that I saw at Boise State that, that did bother me. But you get the physical ability. He kind of reminds me of how Colton Miller was viewed last year. But I think he's better than Colton Miller was coming out of UCLA. Now, I don't think his upside is as high because Colton Miller was a legitimate, like, 1% athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, but and, and people hated that pick, but Miller was actually a solid contributor on the Oakland offensive line this past year. So I do think you can absolutely do worse than Cleveland. What I, I think maybe a smarter move would look to trade back. Maybe if you could still grab him, but if he's your guy, I don't have a major issue with it, especially in the second round, where I'm okay with taking high upside players, especially at positions of major need and major value like left tackle. Slash right tackle. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think Colton Miller is kind of the poster child for that, that, you know, didn't really have the film, but had the measurables mm-hmm. um, and, and, and has panned out, uh, you know, and, and I think from like a size standpoint, you can say the same thing about Orlando Brown, that there were so many things, obviously he didn't test well, uh, but you know, the massive size and somebody mm-hmm. took him, you know, and, 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 you know, and he's having success in the league as well. Um, so I mean, there's definitely value to that, and I and I think that you know, I know you you played O line, uh, you know I I, I coach, so I, t- I tend to focus really hard on the film, uh, but you know lots of times these uh, these measurables do project, uh, and and you see at least that guys who have you know really strong measurables have a very high floor, um, you know just do, you know from, from the beginning just based on what they can do physically that others can't. Um, now. A couple of other late risers and guys that, uh, you know, more likely in the mid rounds, uh, Matt Pert from UConn, uh, who actually did like his film. I think a lot of people mm. kind of got more into him after the testing, but I liked his film quite a bit. Uh, and Ben Barch from St. John's in Minnesota. Uh, you know, he's a guy, obviously, that, uh, again, you were at the Senior Bowl. Uh, he, he stood out there being a D3 football player. 
um, you know, you've that you got to stand out. You got to go to a bowl game like that and, and do that. And um, he's a guy that everybody, all the reports I've heard say he he belongs. So, uh, what do you think about those two? So both were actually at the Senior Bowl. Um, I think Barch was better overall. Now that being said, he did spend a lot of his time splitting reps between outside and inside. Personally, I think probably how he fits, uh, he looked better on the interior to me. It fit his, his Mahler mentality. He's very nasty. He's very willing to to drive someone to the ground, but he did also measure very favorably. Um, I think he's best suited to play right tackle. I don't know that he's physically gifted enough to be able to protect a blindside consistently, uh, but a right tackle is important nonetheless. I really like his motor and how, and you can kind of tell that he's the D3 prospect with the way he plays. Um, he's very hungry. He's very willing to do what what needs to be done. He's very nasty. He's very dirty. And, and it, it's what I love in an offensive lineman. So I really, really love Bartz, but I think I might prefer him as an interior offensive lineman. I haven't decided yet. Um, but I think I would rather him play on the interior or at the right tackle spot than I would at the left tackle. Uh, Pert is a little bit different. He's very tall. He's got a lean frame. My only issue is I liked his tape, but you can tell that he plays at UConn. He's <laughs> the coaching was not excellent. He's very there's a lot of a lot of rawness and he hasn't been very developed. I think he's best suited to be taken by a team who maybe has an older tackle already on the roster. Um, look at him in like a, in early round three is kind of where I would look to take him. Coach up the issues that he has and then teach him how to fix some of the things that he, he some of his habits that he's already developed. Personally, I think he can be a really good offensive tackle, but for how long he is, I do have some worry or how tall he is. I do have some worries that he's not overly like he's not super, super long and he's not he, he plays very high. So I do have concerns with that. As rushers will feast on you in the NFL if you give them your interior and they will drive you back into the quarterback every single time. So he does have a long way to go before he's ready to play in the NFL, in my opinion. But I do think once he gets developed and once he gets, he has all the physical tools to be a quality NFL tackle. Yeah, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how it works with some of these guys with the new CBA. I believe they're requiring you to have one more offensive lineman uh, active than than you did previously. Uh, and also there's there's extra spots on the practice squad. And, you know, I, I, I think that that's going to be really good for offensive line development, because as we know, uh, you're not getting as much uh, drop back pass in college football as you do in the NFL, mm-hmm. even though the NFL has changed as well. It's, uh, you know, I, I think our, our offensive line development is really, really yeah. behind where it was years ago. So I, I think that's going to be a great spot. Uh, for more of these guys to be able to catch on, hang on a little bit longer, and and hopefully uh, you know pull out some careers. Um, yeah, you know with Barch, I mean, not uh, you know it's it's not unprecedented. Uh, of course, Ali uh, Marpet was from uh, Hobart, a, a Division three school, a few years ago. Uh, went in the second round to the Buccaneers. So. For a D3 guy to be able to rise up like that and and come in and, and contribute, you know, there's there's a past, you know, there's a little bit there. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people probably haven't heard of St. John's, uh, you know, that are listening to us or Bengals fans. But I mean, St. John's is a very good, uh, a very good Division three program. You know, maybe maybe you caught him playing Mount Union in the playoffs or something at some point. But uh, you know, the former coach there was like the winningest coach in all of college football, John Gallardi, and uh, you know, so that is a, a pretty uh, it, it's not it's not some random D3 school. It's a it's a pretty big, pretty established program. Um, so moving to the inside, as as you know, we may very well be doing with guys like Barch. Uh, <laughs> so uh, on day two, there's a chance the Bengals could have really their pick of any interior lineman. Uh, you know, the the top guys that you really hear about are Cesar Ruiz and Lloyd Cushenberry. Uh, they, they seem to be the ones that are discussed as end of the first round, top of the second round type talent. Uh, what? Uh, let's start with uh, uh, Ruiz. Where, where do you think he fits in the NFL, and, and uh, you know, do you think he's a is a good option uh, at pick thirty three? Yeah, I think either of those guys are good option at pick thirty three, and I think other than those two, there's nobody in the interior offensive line worth their second round selection. Um, so I think it's very much. Those two, pick whichever one you prefer more, and then just go from there. Don't 
don't try and push the need, especially if both of them are gone, because I do think there's a major drop off between Cushionberry and Ruiz and the rest of the class. Um, with Ruiz, he's a, a very he's physically gifted. Um, he's big, like six foot four, three hundred, almost twenty pounds. Um, very very strong, very very athletic for his size, and it's, it showed at Michigan. Um, he is still he's very young, so he is a little raw, especially compared to some of the guys like a Lloyd Cushenberry, like a Jonah Jackson, like a Tyler Biadas who have been playing for so long. Um, I think he's a bit more of a project. I think his ceiling's the highest in the class for the position, specifically at center. And I think that's where both of these guys are best. Um, but I think Ruiz, in terms of his physical gifts, make him the the highest ceiling interior offensive lineman in this class. Cushenberry's a little bit different. He's still physically gifted, but not so much as Ruiz. What I think Cush does better is he's better – Technically, I think his pass set is cleaner. I think his hands are a bit cleaner. Uh, and it showed throughout the entirety of LSU where you're playing in front of Joe Burrow, who's moving around in the pocket constantly, um, going sideline to sideline, and not being called for so many holes, especially on the interior, it is a big thing. And they were able to run the football effectively. I think both of these guys are excellent run blockers. I just think that Cushenberry is a little more developed at this stage in their careers. Now he's a year older, but I, I do think Ruiz has – a higher upside in terms of physical gifts. Yeah. You know, I think on the LSU line, there, there's some really talented guys, uh, Sadiq Charles at the tackle. Uh, but I, I think uh, uh, Damian Lewis, another interior lineman, um, you know, he was a guy that I, in my rankings, I've got right up there with those top guys. Uh, wh- where do you think uh, Lewis fits in? Where, where do you think uh, is a good spot to, to get him in the draft? Um, I think if you're looking for Damian Lewis, probably in the early third round, somewhere around there, early to mid third round. Um, very, very strong, like incredibly strong brick wall on the interior. I don't think he's overly athletic. Um, his ability to move side to side, I think kind of limits where or what kind of scheme he can be in. Um, I don't think he fits super well in a zone, a wide zone scheme, uh, getting things out into space. But I do think he excels in a, a power run put him in front of a guy and, and ask him to move him. That's where Damian Lewis kind of kind of feasts. He's not built to be pulled. He's not built to run much of counters or anything like that. Mm. Um, it's a very got to move forward. And that's why I think, and, and a lot of the people in this class are like that. Uh, Jonah Jackson from Ohio State, someone who I love, is a mm. lot like that. Robert Hunch, just like that. Nite Moody. The class is very, very strong. It's very powerful. And it will, and it's going to produce maulers. But it's outside of Ruiz and Cushenberry, it's not very athletic. Okay. Now, you might get a Nick Harris, who's a good athlete for his position, but he's like 295 pounds. So what are you sacrificing there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and the Bengals definitely overall have had an issue. They don't have a lot of anchor in that group. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, Harris kind of fits right in with that. Now, last year, they went to more down scheme later in the year, and that's when they started to have success. Um, you know, all you have to do is look at uh, Joe Mixon's numbers. You know, exactly. Yeah, and I think that's where Joe game. Mixon fits best as well, personally. It, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and you know, I, and so Jonah Jackson was another guy I was going to mention, but, but from what you're saying, I think with, with Lewis, with Jackson, they might not be great fits for the Bengals because uh, the Bengals are going to want to pull him, want to get him out in space, mm-hmm. and, and you know, we're better off going with a, a, Ru- a Ruiz or a Cushenberry uh, in the second round because that's going to be a better fit. Yeah. Now, there are going to be some options um, that you can take late, and you can take these guys. Some of them are going to be able to move. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Matt Hennessy um, just because I think he's a center or bust. He's really, really struggled at guard. In Mobile, uh, coming out of high school, he played either center or tackle. It was not – he would not play guard wherever he was going, which was kind of insane to me. Um, <laughs> and so it's just kind of like that. Uh, a Tyler Biades, who's played out of Wisconsin, played a lot of power, a lot of um, duo, moving up to a linebacker. But I do think he's athletic enough and he's experienced enough. He's played so much. And he was that, this year too, right? Yeah, he wasn't. Yeah, he was hurt for most of the year, uh, yeah. had some nagging injuries, was not great, which uh, upset me to see. But he was still I mean, he's still someone who I think if you can get him at the beginning of the third round, I think it's an absolute robbery because I think he's yeah. just he's put so much good tape on the field that I don't think you should knock him for having a bit of a, a down year. 
Uh, another guy, Shane Lemieux out of Lemo, I think, out of Oregon. Uh, quietly a really good prospect in my eyes, a good athlete as well. He can be in that kind of get him out in space type scheme, and I think he fits that a little bit better than some of the guys who I have rated over him. But just because if you're going for a specific scheme, he fits that a little bit better. Yeah, I'm going to be a, uh, a scouting cliche and, and uh, instead of butchering his name, refer to him as the kid from Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, I mean, yeah, that's the thing is he was a guy that everybody was talking about and all the preseason lists and even the, the, the list, the draft list that you were seeing in like November, he was the guy in the interior offensive line. Yeah. So, you know, if he can get back to that, uh, you know, to that previous form, he could absolutely be a steal if he ends up being what he was in, uh, uh, you know, in previous years. Uh, one guy I'm, I'm a big fan of, um, and I haven't really seen too many people high, as nearly as high on him as I am. So I'm interested to know how you feel about Daryl Williams from Mississippi State. Uh, Daryl Williams, like three years ago, was viewed as a, a up and coming, potentially like really, really good prospect. So I always think it's really funny to see how a, a career arc kind of goes down in terms of draft stock, mm. because I think he was a redshirt senior this year. So then he would have been draft. He would have been eligible like two drafts ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I remember talking about him. I remember scouting him then. The issue I think that people have is that he never really got much better than what he was, which is understandable, right? Your your interior offensive line play, if you get to a certain point, you're not going to, unless you're going to be a superstar, you're not going to get that much better than average to slightly above average play. Um, I like him. I think he's... I mean, I like the physical traits. I don't think he's an elite athlete, but I think he's good enough to to be scheme versatile. Um, my only concern is he is a little bit light in terms of how he plays. I do think he can get pushed into the backfield. Now, playing in the SEC, it does mean that you're commonly playing guys like Darren Brown, Marlon Davidson, Quinnen Williams, Raekwon Davis, um, and that's just two teams, right? Sure. There's <laughs> So you're going to be playing a lot of talent. I think he's a guy who, especially if you can get him in like around five or six, is a guy that you can, because he's got so much experience, be able to plug and play him pretty early on in his career. And while he may never be a top five guard in the NFL, if he's a top 15 right or left guard for the majority of his career, it's a really good late day three pick. Yeah, and he... I always felt like, and maybe this is comes back to the experience, but when I see him, I, I feel like you see him picking up a lot of blitzes. He seems to have like a really good understanding the way he's coming off of double teams and, uh, off, and you know, in particular in pass pro. Um, so I mean, that kind of speaks to to being more experienced, to being a guy that you can uh, go with with that. So uh, yeah, yeah, he was a guy that, that stuck out to me. Um, another guy um, that I've I've heard him projected. And I think he actually at the Senior Bowl went to uh, guard. Uh, but played uh, left tackle at Kansas was Akeem Adeniji. Yes, I think I got that one. Someone who I'm a huge fan of, and I wish more people talked about him. Yeah, he's not he's not going to be ready to play guard year one in the NFL. Uh, he's too light, and he got I think he's, he, he's like 300 was his playing weight right around there for the majority of the season. Um, I'm not sure what he weighed in at the combine, but I could pull it up real quick. But he's his hands. Yeah, he weighed in at 302 pounds at the combine. You're going to want that if you're going to have him at guard. You're going to want that to be up to like the 310 minimum, probably closer to 320 by the time he's had his actual playing weight. Um, but his hands, he's a four-year starter at Kansas. He's one of the most decorated players in like Big 12 football history. It just happened that he played at Kansas, so it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> he's His hands are real active. He's got excellent feet. He's got very, he's got high awareness. He's great football acumen. He's a really, really good football player. Um, he was very consistent on tape. The only major, major issue is that his anchor is not great. Now, in the Big 12, you can get away with that playing left tackle and having a bad anchor because you're playing against 230-pound defensive ends half the time. Moving to guard in the NFL, it'll absolutely – they'll feast on you, right? We, If he gets drafted to a team like the Bengals and they're playing the Steelers week one and you've got Cameron Hayward in front of you, what are you going to do? So That's a problem. Yeah, that's where the issue comes from. Now, I do think that if he's if he sits, learns year two, you can start to plug him and play him. He's athletic, so he can play in that that wide zone scheme, get him into space, have him pull. That works, and then he'll also have built himself up to be able to anchor better. Practicing against guys like Geno Atkins can only help. 
Mm-hmm. So that'll be really, really good as well for him. I really, really like him. My only concern is that how high can you take a player who was a senior in college, right? So he's already old. It's not like he's not – it's not like he's raw. It's just that he's underdeveloped from a size perspective because he was never asked to put on weight in college because he never had to. So how high can you value a player like that? I would take him relatively early. I would be more than willing to spend a fourth-round pick on him if I felt comfortable that – after a year, I know that I could develop him. I could help him add weight. I could help him add some muscle and that he'll be ready to go after one year. Cause I think he can be a high quality starter. Yeah. I'm with you on that. And I think you see, uh, like you say in the zone game, he, he, he has some great, uh, you know, reach blocks on film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also thought again, like Williams, I, th- I think he's, he's really smart in pass protection. Um, you, you can see, I think a lot of guys will a lot of guys kick step and they got a good kick step, uh, but then they have trouble with the with the post when when the guy tries to go to the inside move. And I felt like he was good at transitioning kick step to post and being able to, to adjust to those sort of moves. Um, I actually I, I'm I'm really I, I'm I'm glad to talk to you about him because I you're always looking for bias when you're scouting. You're like you're looking for your mm-hmm. own bias. Um, and when I first watched him on film, I was like, wow, this guy's awesome. Why is nobody talking about him? And then I realized his offensive line coach, the guy named Luke Meadows, and uh, I, uh, I formerly worked for Luke Meadows. Uh, he was the offensive coordinator at South Dakota State when I was a graduate assistant there. So I'm, I, in my head, I'm thinking, OK, do I like this guy because he was taught by the same guy I was? So we, like just subconsciously, I'm seeing everything mm-hmm. I want to see because that's the guy that taught me offensive line play. So I'm, I'm glad to see, uh, you know, somebody else uh, on the uh Hakeem Adeniji uh, train with me. So yeah, I'm uh, a big fan. Yeah. That's awesome. So, you know, one guy who was uh, like, uh, you know, like the Wisconsin kid, we'll say <laughs> uh, was kind of big early, but has kind of fallen off is Solomon kindly from Georgia. Uh, where do you think he fits into this? Why do you think uh, he's, he's fallen off? Um, I was never super, super high on him. I think it's just, a long-time starter at a blue blood, blue blood, like Alabama players get the same thing, right? Like a lot of people thought Lester Cotton could be a top 50 pick and mm. he got benched like three weeks into the year. Um, if you play a lot of games at a big time program, people are just going to automatically think you're good. Um, I think he's also very scheme dependent. He's very strong. Uh, he plays with a lot of power. He's got an awesome punch that you don't commonly see from guards. Um, but I don't think he's a great athlete. I don't think he's, quick enough to deal with the smarter, you know, twitchier defensive tackles who will give you a lot of looks. Um, I also think he can at times, especially against higher tier competition, get blown right back into the, now this is an unfair example because I think he was his best player in his class, but Quinn and Williams uh, in the SEC championship game against Kindly was, was dominant. Like Kindly couldn't touch him. So there, that is a concern, but I do think that he's another guy that because he's played so much, um, I think he's a redshirt junior, right? So he's played for like four years at Georgia. He fits into that. We can take him in this late round, use him as like a Band-Aid, and worst case scenario, he's not it. We look for a new guard. Best case scenario, we have an at minimum average guard that we got on day three that we can plug and play as a rookie. Yeah, it's a little confusing with him because you see him in like he looks like the biggest dude in the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's I a think, large human. Yeah, he's like three thirty five, and uh, and but then yeah, like his anchor isn't great. You do see him get pushed back at times. So, um, yeah, his 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 tape is a little confusing. Uh, like you you never I'm never really sure what I'm gonna what I'm gonna see with him. Um, now you mentioned Lemieux uh, from Oregon before. Um, now LSU. Won the award for for best offensive line, but Oregon was was a line that got got a lot of talk. Uh, you know, you've also got Jake Hansen in there, uh, and uh, another person who probably just because he has a cool name, but uh, was very popular in mock drafts early in the process. Calvin Throckmorton. Um, what do you uh, what do you think about those guys? I know Throckmorton at least was down at the Senior Bowl as well. Uh, you know, you think any of those guys could be, you know, regular NFL starters? Um, well, I think you already both, mentioned Lemieux, but <laughs> yeah, I think the interior guys, Lemieux and Hanson can, um, I think that Lemieux has the best bet to be taken early and be a, a very productive interior offensive lineman in the NFL. I think Hanson was good enough. I think he was consistent enough that I would 
be comfortable taking him in the fifth, sixth, or seventh round. And to me, he's either he's either really, really quality depth um, as like a sixth offensive lineman that I can plug in at any of the three interior spots and be comfortable with him being a backup. But I also think that out, you know, he could potentially, you know, at best in his career, be a, a solid, quality, consistent starting piece on my offensive line. Do I ever think he's going to make a Pro Bowl? No, but I do think that's maybe plugging him in, already having other good offensive linemen on my team, he could be a, a producer. With Rock, it's a little bit different. He, at the Senior Bowl, played everywhere. Like, they had him snap, they had him take reps at guard, and they had him take reps at tackle. Yeah, they were was, really light on the offensive line with, with because of injuries in, in, on the, 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 the north, right? Yeah. 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 Um, it was interesting. Um, I think he's a good player, but I think his best – Spot in the NFL is as a swing tackle, you know, your left tackle hurts his knee early in a game. You play Throckmorton for the rest of the game, mm-hmm. but he's not someone that I would want to rely on to be like, I think he's a great piece for an NFL team. I just don't think he's going to be a great piece for an NFL team as a starter. Like quality depth, especially on the offensive line, I always preach is very, very important. And having someone who can literally play all five positions is awesome. But to me, he's like the best case scenario for his career is going to be like, um, uh, a big V, formerly of Philadelphia, now of Halapului Vati Vaitai. Sorry, I wanted to flex that. Um, formerly of Philadelphia, <laughs> now in Detroit, who got a really nice contract. Um, but I think that's a best-case scenario. More likely than not, he's just going to be um, a perennial 7th or 8th offensive lineman just providing depth and versatility. Yeah, and those guys do have a lot of value, and, and that's something that I think we talked about. The, the CBA is hopefully going to help a little bit with that, but – um, you know, that is uh, an issue that they have on NFL teams. They don't keep that many linemen, you know, and, and they're going in. Yep. Uh, they're not going in with a two deep. You know, they're going in with eight, maybe nine guys uh, in, into the week. So you've got to be able to have some flexibility there, um, whatever it is. And, and, you know, especially being able to snap. Um, that's, a, it, that's a bigger deal than people realize it is because a lot of guys just, just can't do it. Um, so you are uh, you are in D.C. Uh, you you cover the. I'm Redskins. in Philadelphia, actually. Oh, you're in Philly. Okay. Okay. Yes. Uh, well, I'm, so I'm from. Uh, you're from a Texas. In Holy Land, then, huh? Yeah, I'm from Texas. Currently reside in Philadelphia, and I'm a Washington Redskins fan. Wow. So, I mean, so where you were born and where you currently live, they absolutely hate the team that you root for. Yep. Yeah. All right. So do you like to vacation in New York City? Um, no, <laughs> but the most recent Redskins game I've been to was New York. I do love New York. Okay, okay. Well, I mean, that's, that's not too far of a drive for you either. So uh, now, uh, what, what's going on with the Redskins? Uh, I mean, first of all, Trent Williams. Uh, there's lots of trade rumors, but then there was also the Trent Williams' agent saying that they wouldn't even talk about trading him. Um, you know, and, and I, and I hate to pick on you, but, the, but the Bengals ownership is, is constantly ripped and called the worst ownership out there. So I, I, I got to ask you what's, what's going on with, uh, with ownership and how they're uh, treating Trent Williams in there. So here's how I view the, the, the ownership separation between now. I can't speak very closely to the Bengals cause I don't know just based off what I hear from Bengals fans and friends of mine that follow the Bengals is that it's Paul Brown, right? Is that correct? Oh, uh, it's Mike Brown's the owner. Mike Paul, Brown, Mike Paul Brown's the founder. Mike Brown's uh, Mike Brown, his son, is the owner currently. Gotcha, gotcha. So Mike Brown isn't – he comes off as not someone who's super interested in winning, right? He doesn't really care. Mm-hmm. Um, he just wants to – you know, he views it as – that. that's kind of the vibe that I get from when I hear Bengal fans talk about Mike Brown is that he's not super committed to winning. He's not going to go out of his way – to produce the, the best quality out there. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't believe that about Dan Snyder, the Redskins owner. I think he's, he's very interested in winning. He loves the Redskins very much. His issue is that he has always been too invested in thinking that he's smart enough to help run a team. Um, and he lets his emotions get in the way and it can affect the team, right? He went out and said, we're going to go get RG three. We need a quarterback. Give them all of these draft picks. Get, get it done. He went out and he said, hey, we're going to go draft Dwayne Haskins. Now, we don't know if that was a bad move yet, but, you know, there there are going to be talks about that until Dwayne Haskins either proves himself or, or doesn't. Mm-hmm. So ha- what Snyder has at least done that it doesn't seem that Brown has done yet 
is understand where he's making mistakes and then try and fix it. Um, Snyder went out and hired, he, he fired Bruce Allen, right? Which was a big time move. Um, Bruce Allen, Bruce Allen was a major issue with the Redskins. He's the one who caused the rift between Trent Williams. He was, um, it, the Redskins Twitter account had to shut down for a couple months because they couldn't tweet anything without getting a couple thousand hashtag fire Bruce <laughs> Allen tweets to literally every reply. Um, the stadium was terrible. Going to games sucked. The team sucked. Like it was, it was pretty brutal. And uh, I would say at least 70% of the blame should have been put on Bruce Allen. He was fired. Dan Snyder brought in Ron Rivera and said, Hey, you're going to do what you think is the right way to, to build a football team. Now that's a huge thing because the Redskins have never had someone like Ron Rivera who is who's proven to be, at least not recently, right? You had Joe Gibb or not Joe Gibb, sorry, Mike Shanahan in two thousand and like nine or two thousand ten coming what was 20 years or 15 years off of a Super Bowl win, right? Ron Rivera has been to the Super Bowl. He's won two coach of the year awards all within the last decade, which is pretty huge. Um, so I think that's the separation between the Bengals and the, the Redskins owners that Dan Snyder wants to win. It's just that he made, he forced moves that he thought would have helped the team to win when he's not a football guy, right? He never played. He was never in a front office. He just became a billionaire and purchased a team. Um, just because you can buy a team doesn't mean you can run a team. Whereas with Brown, I get the sense that Bengal fans feel that he really doesn't care if the team ever wins the Super Bowl. Yeah, and that's you know that's the talk. Uh, obviously, the last two weeks have made people's opinions of him uh, change a little bit. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, you know, out there spending a lot of money appears to be you know doing what he needs to do. Um, I think he kind of hit the nail right on the head though that. Uh, you know, Snyder changes and Brown really hasn't, uh, you know, well, I'll take that back. He, he, he has at times, uh, they have a general philosophy about things and it's to build through the draft and the Packers, you know, we're doing that for a long time as well, have started to spend more in free agency. Um, so really with the Bengals, I feel like, you know, like, you know, when you're learning how to drive and they're, and they're like, you know, they tell you to make small adjustments like you know you're, mm-hmm. you're veering off you don't make a big adjustment like that's kind of their approach to team building uh is all right well we'll just do a little something here we'll just do a little something here which you know this it makes some sense like okay well, let's not go radical and you know if, if you're the redskins like ne- let's not just say oh this haskins thing isn't going to work we're going to pick two of this year you know and completely change directions every time you know something maybe just needs to work itself out um he did, however, after they hired Marvin Lewis and Marvin Lewis came in and, you know, he, Marvin Lewis kind of ran the show. Uh, I think I think Lewis probably got a little complacent and stopped asking Brown for as much uh, towards the end. And there was definitely some 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 cheapness that affected the offensive line. Losing Whitworth and, and Zeitler were uh, played no small part in the, the Bengals demise over the past couple of years. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it looks like, you know, it's a delayed effect maybe because he got hired late, but it looks like now maybe Taylor is pushing, uh, and, and, you know, Taylor and Tobin are out there and, and, and getting guys and, and making some adjustments. So, you know, fingers crossed, uh, you know, and I'd say the same thing, hopefully with, with Snyder now bringing in an established football guy, you know, a guy that's been there and is well-respected like Rivera, you know, you, you hope that he, gives him the the reins a little bit and, and lets him take it and, and make it what it's going to be. Cause it, the Browns, so the Browns are a football family, you know, and, and I know that's a big problem with Snyder's an example of, of, you know, people that ran a business and they come in and they think they can run a football team like, like their business. Um, you know, the Browns are one of the old families and you mentioned Paul Brown, you know, he founded the the Cleveland Browns. He and you know uh, he he coached the Cleveland Browns, coached the Bengals. Um, you know, founded the Bengals, obviously. Uh, and you know, he's a guy that like Bill Belichick mentions like in every other interview. So uh, he is a true football guy, you know. And and his family, obviously, uh, with Mike Brown, with Katie Blackburn, his daughter, grew up around it, but not you know just like just like Mike uh, Mike Davis, you know, not. Uh, not to the same extent uh, as, mm-hmm. as their father, perhaps. But um, so, yeah, I mean, I think both are kind of looking at the same thing, uh, you know, 
how much control are you going to give the coach? Because um, hopefully they both have uh, have the right guy in there and can can move forward with it. So I think the big question is uh, Andy Dalton for Trent Williams straight up. Let's do it. Uh, throwing William Jackson, you got a deal. I, you know what? I'm not 100% sure that's off the table with the moves they made recently and the fact that they said they're not going to get rid of uh, Kirkpatrick. He's only got a year left in his contract. They, they, I wouldn't, I wouldn't shock me if they, if they did move him. But um, more than happy. I don't. Uh, well, especially with Dalton on the roster, I, I don't think they could get rid of. Uh, I don't think they could uh, give Trent Williams the money he wants. But. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is, uh, you know, obviously being a Bengals podcast, there's a lot of Ohio State fans that are uh, crossing over as Bengals fans as well. Uh, what do you think is uh, going on with Haskins? Uh, how do you think he'll do with the new coaching staff in place? So I tell this to people a lot. I, I, Dwayne Haskins is going to be the Redskins starting quarterback in 2020. I am 99.9% sure. Uh, there's a couple reasons for this. One, Ron Revere literally said it in an interview yesterday where, you know, they went out, they traded for Kyle Allen because they desperately needed a backup quarterback. You know, Hall of Fame head coach, Redskins head coach Joe Gibbs once said, the backup quarterback is the second most important position on the football team. They needed one pretty badly. They went out and gave up a fit for Kyle Allen. What, what that does is it brings in another young guy who can compete with Dwayne Haskins throughout training camp but is not so talented like maybe if Philip Rivers or Jameis Winston or Cam Newton would have been where people just think that, okay, he's just going to win the job. The expectation is that Dwayne Haskins will go in, win, and they're going in with the thought process that he is the starting quarterback. Though if via training camp, Kyle Allen is just head and shoulders better than Dwayne, they'll go with him. I think that more than likely takes the option of Tua off of the table or Justin Herbert, or they wanted to look that way, at two. The only way I think they would at all consider quarterback at two is if the Cincinnati Bengals decided that they wanted to take a Chase Young. I, I don't think they would. Like 99.99. I'm, I'm 100% sure the Bengals are going to take a quarterback, <laughs> right? So odds are Dwayne Haskins is a quarterback in 2020. He was also, in my opinion, I think Dwayne Haskins was put in the worst possible situation of all of the higher tier rookie quarterbacks. He was brought in by a coach that didn't want him. Uh, in a system that is not friendly to quarterbacks early, Alex Smith struggled heavily when he came over to Washington, really, really struggled to pick up the system early. Um, Kirk Cousins and Robert Griffin III and Colt McCoy were all horrendous early under Jay Gruden's system. It's a very quarterback-friendly system, but it takes a long, long time to learn. And for Haskins coming out of an Ohio State offense that is not, uh, it was a bit of a transition. Now, I also say that when you see Dwayne Haskins, if you go watch the first appearance Dwayne Haskins made week five against the Giants and then look at him play the Giants again week 16 in his last appearance in the regular season, there was no quarterback in the NFL that showed more improvement from their first week this year to their last week this year. That goes for Kyler Murray. That goes for Daniel Jones. That goes for Drew Locke. Um, Haskins was not good to start the season. He was His first three appearances were as emergency backup quarterbacks. That's not good for a rookie quarterback. You don't have the game plan set for you. You still haven't learned everything. Uh, Defenses are just going to come after you. So he struggled Uh, in his last games. In the last four weeks of the season, Dwayne Haskins was second only to Aaron Rodgers in QB rating and completion percentage. There was a lot to like from last year, but you have to look at it in a vacuum and you have to understand that with context, all numbers are not equal. So coming in this year, I think the Redskins – are going to view this as a, is Dwayne Haskins our, our franchise quarterback or not? If he really struggles, then they're probably picking top five. They're going to go out and get a guy like Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. If he's, you know, average to above average, they're picking anywhere from like 10 to 18. Then you're thinking, okay, well, let's give it another year. We'll, we'll try and give him some more help. We'll take a good player here. And then next year, the, you know, year three in his career, we'll really know what kind of quarterback he is. Or if he has, you know, a major sophomore leap under a new coaching staff under a team that's really invested in him as the starting quarterback, then you know you have your franchise guy. So that's kind of the situation with where Dwayne Haskins is. And I would I would bet a lot, including probably my life, that Dwayne Haskins is going to be the starting quarterback in 2020 unless Kyle Allen is a god in training camp. Well a couple of things. Number one I'll say is that not you know, I'm not. I'm not saying it's an easy system for quarterbacks, 
But Andy Dalton went nine and seven and went to the playoffs as a, as a rookie playing under under Jay Gruden. Uh, <laughs> I just I'll, yeah, but that Bengals roster was noticeably better than the Redskins roster. Yeah, yeah, we, uh, yeah. Th- that is a very very valid point. Uh, I got yeah, I got to give Andy some love because we're even more down on than usual because we can't mm-hmm. get him to go away. But uh, well, well, we can get him to go away. They just they're just not getting anything out of them right now. Yeah, it's, nobody wants them. <laughs> it's a bit, it's a bit frustrating. Uh, Hard to trade that. Guy. I don't know. I, I, you know what? I think it, it might just take a little time because I think people are waiting. Because obviously, you know, people talk about Tom Brady was the first domino, but like that doesn't mean Andy Dalton is the second domino, and and it's going to be tough because I think people are, could, yeah, everybody's going to be interested in Cam, but they're going to want to exactly. they're going to want to give him a physical. They're going to want to see him throw, and you can't do that right now. So I mean, you know. So, I don't know, something, something could happen late. I haven't, I haven't completely given up on it. I mean, I'd imagine that they're going to get some kind of draft capital. It's just, it's not going to be what it should be. Because I do think that Andy Dalton is still like a, you know, top 25 to 18 type quarterback. It's just that it's very obvious the Bengals are going to move on. They're going to take a franchise quarterback um, and, and replace Dalton. Why go, why give up? much resources at all, right? When you could just wait, see what Cam's arm is like, and then just sign him without having to pay anything. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, it's certainly a sexier pickup too. Mm-hmm. You exactly. Know, it's better PR. It's better. Andy Dalton might win you more games this year than Cam Newton, uh, depending on, you know, what Cam Newton's situation is. Uh, but Andy Dalton isn't necessarily putting butts in the seats. And, and even if he's not his old self, people will come out to see, uh, Cam Newton. Yeah, and I don't even think it's debatable, right? If if, if Cam Newton's fully healthy, if you get 100% Cam Newton versus 100% Andy Dalton, I still think oh, yeah. that, that Cam Newton's just a better quarterback. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and um, I mean, yeah, these quarterback trades have been crazy. I mean, uh, you know, the the the, the top guys, you know, the top guys who are on the trade market, that is, are going for like fourth round picks, and then yeah, like, exactly. Then you guys give up a fifth round pick for uh, for Allen, so. It's uh yeah apparently that's the window it's a pretty tight <laughs> it's a pretty tight little window in there, um but yeah you know you make some good points about Haskins too and it always bugged me during the pre-draft prospect process last year the the knock on Haskins was that he didn't have enough experience and people wanted him to go somewhere where he could sit for a year which makes absolutely yeah. no sense. He doesn't have enough experience, so let's put him on the bench. Uh, and that's essentially what would happen with the Redskins. And when you're the emergency quarterback, you're not getting reps in practice. You know, so uh, it, it will be interesting. It, and it stinks just like it stinks for everybody, but that he's not going to probably end up getting OTAs. Um, but having him as the number one guy throughout camp getting all the number one reps, you know, having the game plan built around what he can do, what he likes. Now you're putting him in a position where, yeah, you can actually see if he is the guy, giving him a chance to succeed. And again, give him the experience. Cause like, like, like people said, you know, he didn't, he, he didn't have enough reps at Ohio state. Well, he's got to get some reps in the NFL then, or it, it's not going to get better by, uh, by watching Colt McCoy. You know what I mean? Exactly. And, I think it's going to be huge. And honestly, the quarterback play cannot get worse than it was last year, um, especially given how Dwayne improved throughout the season. So we're talking a lot about one Ohio State, one former Ohio State quarterback. Hmm. Uh, the one that won the quarterback competition. Uh, yeah. So let's uh, let's talk about Joe Burrow. What, do you, what are your thoughts on Joe Burrow? Who is your Joe Burrow NFL comp? Um, so one that I talk about a lot with my co-host, Don Miller, Tony Romo. Which some people here and are like, oh, wonderful. Tony Romo is not, you know, a good quarterback. Blah, blah, blah. It's not true. Tony Romo should have won an MVP one year. Um, Tony Romo was a bit of a head case at times in terms of how he played. Um, sometimes you saw some dazzling breakout of sacks, make a beautiful play 40 yards down the field on something that really shouldn't have happened at all. You get that from Joe Burrow a lot. And then sometimes you also get that you try to make that play. And you get picked off. Now, you didn't see that from Joe Burrow very often, but Joe Burrow also wasn't playing in the NFL, right? Um, so I do think that the idea of the escapability um, lacks real elite arm talent, but is a very intangible-based quarterback. I do think that Joe Burrow resembles Tony Romo a lot in that aspect. 
Yeah, and that's that's a pretty common one. Uh, that's one I hear quite a bit, and uh, you know, definitely, yeah, yeah. You, you see where people are talking about there, and, and it's definitely a, a, a solid one. So, uh, you know, he is a uh, he's a welcome uh, new force in Cincinnati, and, and we're all looking very much uh, forward to making it official. Uh, so. I, now, I do have to admit, I kind of want them to take Justin Herbert only because I have a lot of tweets saved saying that there is no plausible way that Justin Herbert could even be considered. Um, and it would be really funny to tweet those out. But I do think that Joe Burrow should be the picky one. And it's well, who I expect. to be on Twitter for a while. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I don't even know what would happen. I mean, Herbert, Chase Young, anybody, like I don't. I, I don't even know what would happen in this in this fan base if they didn't take Joe Burrow at this point. It would be pure insanity uh, how people would react. I, I mean, and and they'd be crazy to not like at least be hinting it by now to to, to lessen the blow of it a little bit. Uh, that could that could definitely get ugly. Um, now uh, I mentioned uh, Pro Football Network Blue Chip Scouting. Uh, where, uh, where can they follow you on Twitter or anywhere else they can find your work? Please, please, please follow me on Twitter at MV Scouting. Um, if you have something irrational or crazy to say and you don't know who to say it to, please tweet it at me. I would love to argue with you for hours. It is my favorite thing to do. It's my favorite pastime. Um, so definitely go follow me at MV Scouting. Check out my work at Pro Football Network. And then make sure you listen into my podcast at the Blue Chip Scouting NFL Podcast. All right. Yeah. Lots of great football content out there. I know, uh, you know, lots of us are are stuck at home. Some of us are working from home. Some of us aren't able to work. Uh, obviously, these are crazy times and um, there's, a, there's, there's some good stuff out there. You know, if, if you're really into football, if you're really into the draft, um, you know, this is, uh, you know, you're going to be able now to, to soak in a lot more content than you have in the past. So, uh you know, definitely a great follow, very good offensive line follow and, and draft follow in, in general. Uh, so, so check him out. Uh, here uh, at Cincy Jungle, we're putting out lots of great content. Um, just in the last couple of days, uh, some of my uh, my fellow podcasters on the on the Cincy Jungle Network here, I've had interviews with, uh, with former Bengal Tim McGee. Uh, guy, I remember watching when I was very, very young, playing receiver in, in the late '80s. Um, well, they also had Austin Gale on. Uh, I believe that was two days ago, and they had, he was actually talking about binds before they even picked binds up. Uh, so some really good quality content out there uh, from Cincy Jungle and other sources as well. So make sure you give Matt a follow, and uh, you know, make sure you are uh, uh, taking in that that content because you do not need to watch the office for the fourth time, right? Nothing's going to change. The last season's still going to stink without Michael. Uh, so, uh, you know, make sure you're checking out all that good football content and, uh, yeah, keep it, uh, keep it right here on sensing jungle. I'll, I'll keep uh, putting out the podcast as well. So thanks for checking us out today. Yeah, we're coming for hours. You hear me?